Welcome to Creative Conf Lab, a podcast where we have honest conversations about creativity, art, design, and craft. I'm your host, Tara Joy Andrews. Ready to get started? Let's go. So thank you, everybody, for listening to Creative Conf Lab podcast. Today on the podcast, we have USA Today bestselling sci-fi graphic novelist, fellow podcaster, and author of How to Build Your Creative Career, Russell Nolte. Hi, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I like to start each episode on a positive note. So can you share something with everybody that's brought you joy lately? Um, all right. Positive notes. Positive notes. Yes. You know, the Happy only thi- things. We have enough negative things. <laughs> the really only thing that I can consistently say outside of like my wife that brings me joy is writing. So um, I'm not quite sure if it brings me joy or just like lessens the pain, but regardless, it like is a positive thing. So while most people um, have been having problems getting motivated in, in I, I had problems getting motivated at the beginning of COVID too, but um that's, I think, because I was doing tons of interviews and tons of meetings and like literally my whole day, like from Monday to Friday, from nine to two every day, like my most productive time as a writer was spent in meetings. And so I was getting quite anxious and quite anxious. And I realized that like whenever I had a, a, a day to just write, I would be less anxious. So I've been working for the last four months, it's in March, April, May, June, five months to really reclaim my time. And so I, uh, I took back it like sort of one day at a time. And last week was the last time that I like had a really busy Monday. And so now instead of just doing every podcast interview that that like comes across my plate. I'm, I'm quite picky now. Uh, like I want to make sure it aligns with uh, the things that I'm doing and the kind of audience that I'm looking for. And uh, so I'm, I'm quite happy both that I've been able to finish books and I finished my fourth book this year um, as a writer. And uh, plus I did a bunch of anthology pieces and I kind of I, I write for my blog, The Complete Creative also. And so I've done quite a lot of, uh, of, of, of creative stuff uh, recently, but I also just like, I'm very happy that I have been able to sort of reclaim my time and bring back my time for writing, which is, I mean, it's where I make all my, most of my money and where I should be spending most of my time so that I was doing like a hundred interviews. I did a hundred interviews in the past few months and it was oh my goodness. just a lot. And uh, I'm happy, very happy that I, I, I've been able to sort of go back into my cave and just uh, I'm starting a new book tomorrow and, and, and start writing again. I feel similar in that when I'm producing and creating and in that creative flow, that's when I'm at my happiest. And thank you for making Creative Conflab one of your selected few. That means a lot to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's very easy to like, when you ha- when like, when, when you make it clear that the person you, people you t- target are like creative people and, and like it, that, you know, that's the kind of place that I want to be. I did a lot of business podcasts and like, I'm, they're fine, but you know, I would, there's something about like creative entrepreneurship that is 
I don't want to say more pure, but an entrepreneur, like usually when you deal with entrepreneurs, like the love that they have is in starting the business. Like the yeah. product that they're making is not as important as just like their, they, their, their thing is like, they just like to put the pieces together to like make the business happen. And, and like, it doesn't matter what widget they're selling. The, the, their, their thing is like, how do I make this widget successful? And with a lot of creative entrepreneurs or, or some entrepreneurs of all types, like the thing that they want to sell is very important to them. And, you know, I find that while I can talk about like whatever business, like I have friends who, you know, own car washes and car dealerships and, and like cybersecurity firms. And I'm like, that can't be the thing that you love. Like you just can't, that can't be the thing, maybe the car dealership, but like you can't love like washing cars. Like that's just not like, I, I don't, I don't believe that is like the thing that lights you up inside. And so what I really have found that like the, the, podcasts I like to, to, to be on and, and the people I just like to associate with are the ones who like the business, they're very interested in like making their business work like most entrepreneurs, but like they want, they're very interested and like they're very connected with the thing that they are making and that is the thing they want to sell and they're okay like not making a million dollars. Like they just want to make like the thing and they want to lead a good life, but they don't need like this ephemeral sort of scale eight figure business. And, you know, it's very different to make a business that like you can sell your crochet patterns or your knitting patterns or your books. And because like, you're just not going to be making a million dollars selling knitting patterns. You know, you can have a good life, you know, you can make low six figures, you know, maybe even mid six figures. Like, I don't know, but like, uh, you know, you're not going to be like making the kind of money you're making, like selling some cybersecurity system to like an enterprise fortune 500 company. And I want I very much am interested in those kind of people and being around those kind of people. And they exist in the entrepreneurial space. It's just mo more often than not what you deal with when you do like these business or entrepreneurial podcasts or things like that is people who are very interested in the system of how things work, but not in the thing they are selling. Yeah, definitely. I totally feel that because I've often thought myself, the, the money that I get to make because of my art and creativity is sort of like a side thing it's like a side effect of creating right yeah so I, that's what right. i say i i, I say it, it's the ancillary byproduct of how i run my business is the money yeah yeah we all need that <laughs> don't right. get me wrong but um yeah well, I, so I was talking with my wife a couple of months ago and I sort of dawned on me that like, okay, so I have this creative, complete creative business with like the coaching and the, 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 the courses and all of this stuff is like, a, a, it's a big part of my business, but like all of that money just gets funneled into my writing anyway. Like it all yes. like just goes to like the same place. And like, if I made million dollars like selling courses I would just like spend a million dollars on like my publishing company and so I might as well just spend all of my time writing and at least then it like feeds itself <laughs> like yeah. instead of me spending you know 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week in the complete creative business like right. and then having to spend another 40 hours a week on writing I might as well just spend that 40 hours a week on writing or 60 hours a week on writing whatever it ends up being because then at least like there's the 
there's the cycle of like, I'm not doing all of this additional work to like make this business function. And if I just make the one business function, that should be enough. Yeah, exactly. So you've already talked about your writing and a little bit about the book and everything, but for anyone who doesn't know about you, could you just tell a little bit of your backstory and how you got into graphic novels and writing? Sure. So I am a USA Today bestselling author. I uh, write, uh, I I do write comics and I'm more, I'm better known for comics, but I've actually written more novels. uh, So I mostly write fantasy um, uh, and with a little bit of horror and then a little, very little bit of sci-fi. So uh, I started writing out of in 2006, a couple years out of college, I, I directed a movie that ended up being a web series called Connections that you can watch on YouTube. And from there, I moved to Los Angeles in 2008 uh, to take my sort of make my living as a TV writer. And from there, I um, I sort of didn't have a lot of success. And my manager at the time introduced me back to comics, something I hadn't thought about in a decade or more. And uh, that... Uh, sort of ignited my love for comics and I started like really making comics and comics sort of is the foundation of our business and uh, you know I make this book called Ichabod Jones Monster Hunter another one called Katrina Hates the Dead uh, Pixie Dust a, a anthology series called uh, Cthulhu is Hard to Spell along with a whole lot of other anthology pieces that I've been part of and but uh, in 2011 I started also writing novels so I've been writing novels almost as long as I've been writing comics. And uh, I wrote a book called Gumshoes, The Case of Madison's Father, and followed it up with this book called My Father Didn't Kill Himself, and then Sorry for Existing. And uh, since then, I've written uh, 19 novels, and uh, wow. I'm about to start my 20th one. And so, and then this year, we actually started, actually started getting some good traction with novels on top of my, uh, co- on top of the comics. So I, it's, it's coming along a lot slower than the, um, than the uh, than the comics did, but I'm 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 very happy that I'm starting to be seen as both an an, an all around writer. You know, I think that right. it's so important when you're a writer that you don't get pigeonholed into just one industry or one medium. And you like you know you're a writer and you can write comics, you can write movies, you can write television, you can write novels, you can write write copy for websites or like whatever it is. Like you're just you know a writer. So often people ask me about, you know, like, how, how did you have success in comics? I'm like, well, I had success as a writer, <laughs> as, a, as right. an overall writer, you know, <laughs> I make, uh, I make, uh, I make good money in comics, but I also make money in books and I make money doing, uh, you know, doing, doing, uh, doing articles for places and I make money writing my podcast and I make money doing all of the things. And so just overall, you know, when you're a writer and not just a comics writer or a novelist or a, a TV writer, you end up being able to go down all of these interesting uh, paths and those paths sort of build on each other. So, you know, there's things in TV writing, which may be a better novelist and things in novel writing, maybe a better comic person and a comic person that may be a better TV writer and all of those things sort of all play on each other. Yeah. I loved um, how you're like, if you're a good writer, you can write pretty much anything because I've heard artists also say the similar um, thing where people ask them, could you draw a giraffe? And they're like, well, here's my whole portfolio of all these amazing things I've drawn. I'm pretty sure I can draw a giraffe, but we all, yeah, 
I feel we all are tried to be put in this category of thing where, especially creative people, like, we're not just one thing. We could do so much. I started asking all of my guests this question because there's so many different answers, and I'm fascinated that there's so many different answers, but how do you define creativity? Well, I've done a lot of stuff in my life, so I have a sort of broad idea of what creativity is. Creativity is when you take nothing and you make something out of it. Um, oh, I love that. So, like, I, I think that there's a creative spark when you're doing a, like, coming up with a, a, something in a new series um, or when you are uh, building a business from scratch. Or, like, there's a lot of different ways for creativity. But at the, at the thing, it's that moment where you have nothing and then something comes from it. Yes. Oh, I love that. So, you wrote a book titled How to Build Your Creative Career. Um, what motivated you to write that book to help creative people in business? Well, uh, so I had a podcast, uh, called the business of art many, many years ago. And, um, from that I learned, I, I had interviewed dozens of creative people. Plus it was like sort of my own struggle too. And, and like my lessons and all sorts of things. And from there I kind of developed the framework of, you know, what is important to build a creative career. And uh, the book was sort of my way to frame it so that like other people could follow it in a simple way. So there's a lot of people would ask me a lot of questions about like how you do this or how you do that or like if this is important, if that is important, if this other thing. And, like, and so I wanted to sort of do an overview of I done – by that point, over a hundred uh, episodes of my podcast, and I had, um, I had just grown my business to you know six figures, and I'd had a lot of success, and it was sort of my way to say, okay, I've broken through uh, somehow, and like, <laughs> how do I codify what it takes to break through? Um, like breakthrough. A lot of my work is, a lot of my work in the complete creative especially is this idea that, um, that like I want to document every step of the, of the process, especially because it's been years since I broke through, you know, I've been a pretty successful author since 2017 uh, the kind of author that like can survive well on his authorship work. And I have kind of don't remember what it's like to break in, or I'm starting to sort of separate myself from that idea. Like I can theoretically go back and remember what it's like, but like I am starting to be the kind of human that is not the right person to ask about like how to break into an industry. And the book really is from a guy who just had broken through and had just utilized all of these things successfully in 2017. And like whenever I, and that book became sort of the, all right, if you want the manual for breaking in, uh, then like here is the manual for breaking in. And, 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 uh, and then I wrote a book called How to Become a Successful Author, which was kind of the manual for breaking in for specifically authorship or writing. Um, 
And, and, and so, and I only wrote the second one because people asked me, how does it, how does all of this stuff apply specifically to writing? And so I did that to like, just to, to show like that this is the overall thing, but there are some specifics in writing. And I mean, I probably am not going to write another nonfiction book, at least for a long time, because I wanted to have the guide for creatives and right. I wanted to have the guide for authors, which is my track. And, you know, I'm not an artist. I'm not a, I'm not a sculptor. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a TV writer. Or, uh, I'm not like a TV uh, uh, a camera operator. Like I'm not a photographer. So I don't feel comfortable writing like the guide to specifically break in in another industry. But yeah, I wrote it because people just asked me hundreds of hours of questions about what like, how do you do this thing? And how did I wanted. You do it? What's your yeah, secret? <laughs> exactly, and and like I, I didn't have just one secret, but the book is really an overview of sort of the fifty biggest questions that people asked, and then documented in the five areas that I believe are the key to breaking in as a successful per, a creative person: how to make something great. Uh, and how to uh, like the basics of sales, like how to build a sales funnel and like just understanding the process of like making a pitch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how to build your audience from scratch, how to sell at live events or virtual events uh, or like doing like how to, how to be in front of other people and sell to them. Um, and then how to launch a product successfully on Kickstarter or on Amazon or, and, and and so, yeah, all, all of that sort of is the five pillars that make up the complete creative, uh, the five pillars that I think that like if you nail all five of them, like you're pretty much, you're, you're kind of destined to break in. Like if you make something great, you've got an audience, you can sell at live events, you can launch products successfully, like that, that, that's, that's what it takes to be a successful person on top of like sort of the mindset of like how to just stay successful over time. Right, exactly. So did you find there's common blocks like that people struggle with? Like for me, imposter syndrome, hello, everybody has it. But especially when you're first starting out, there's that imposter syndrome of, of like, who am I to think I'm good enough to get all of these people to follow me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Are there so similar things like that that you found? Well, I'll address that part because that is a really important first one. And like, frankly, when people start, like they're not very good. And that's the first hurt, mindset hurdle is like, you are not good enough. And either you've got, you've got like legitimate imposter syndrome where like you're literally not good enough to find <laughs> like an audience yet because your writing is bad or your art is bad or like, and that's not bad. It's just like, uh, you know, there's this great Ira Glass quote, which is epically long, but like it basically boils down to when you start, your taste is good, but your ability to do the work is very bad. And yeah. and like the, the, the first part of a creative journey is is moving from not from being really bad to sort of being able to approximate what you are, um, what, what, what you want to say or how you want to say it. And, and that is uh, sort of the first block is people either think, oh, I finished my first book and like I need to keep reviewing it, revising it forever, or I keep writing these things or I keep doing this art. And like they're not moving forward because they are fixed on this idea that like they – they're not good enough, but they're not good enough because they just haven't done enough work. 
And so like the first thing is like, you suck, like you suck, not you specifically, but like you suck when you first start doing something. And like, I suck when I first start doing new things too, even now. And like, you just have to get through that and you've got to do the work. So the first thing is you just got to like do the work and then the, but, but, And so like the first part of it is like, really, you need a safe space to fail. And like, you, you, like there's two phases of a career. The first is just learning how to do great stuff. And, you know, that's a huge, long process. And then once you know how to do great stuff, then you can do the rest of the process, which is finding out how to like actually make like, like build a business from this thing. But like, they both kind of work in tandem. Um, the second is that like the audience owes you something like the audience doesn't owe you anything. Like if people are not responding to your work, then like it's a you problem. It's, it's uh, either you found the wrong audience or your work's not resonating because of some reason, either your, your, your art's just not good enough or, or, uh, you're, you, you don't know, you don't have a voice or you don't have something you want to say or, or you're just not connecting with them or you're not pitching them the correct way so that they actually try your work or there's all these things. Um, but like, if you're not connecting, it's a you problem that you have and that you can, is fixable. It's fixable. But like you have to, you may have to, like if you really want that audience that you're trying to, you may have to switch your art style completely. Or you may have to be okay with like your art is quite indie and like maybe it's just not going to be as successful as you want it to be. Um, or, uh, you know, you need to switch platforms and like, instead of relying on Etsy, you have to rely on Webtoon or Kickstarter or whatever that the thing is, but you can't, like, you can't blame the audience for a problem that is intrinsically like your problem. And, um, and I find that so often artists are like, I don't know why, why can't I grow an audience? Why can't I grow an audience? Why can't I grow an audience? And I like... I don't know, man. Like, why can't you grow an audience? Like, are you making things that they want or are you expecting them to like buy the thing that you make? And like, that is, that is, uh, 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 sort of the key is like, okay, so I, I, I have an audience and I ask them what they want and then I deliver that to them. And, and my job is to sort of take the constraints that they have given me and make something inside of that box. And if I make something outside of that box, I have to understand that like they're, most of them are not going to follow me there. And I have to start to find a whole new audience. But if I make something very much inside that box, then I should be successful. Like I should be able to be successful because like I have taken the constraints that they have given me, the art styles they like, the, 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 the uh, stories they like, the characters they like, and I've made something for them. And now if you're like really making something in tandem with your audience and then they don't buy it, um, well, like then we have a real problem uh, because yes. uh, the, the third problem is that an audience doesn't actually say the thing that they want. Uh, they say the thing that they think they want, but it is your job to take the thing and then interpret it to like through the lens of what they are saying and saying, you're saying you want this. Is this what you mean? Is this what you mean? Is that what you mean? Is this other thing what you mean? And a lot of 
you know, a lot of art, a lot of a creative career is taking what people say and then iterating on it until you actually find out what they mean. And um, sometimes they will tell you what they want and then that will actually be what they want. But most often, like what they say they want and what they actually will pay for and will buy are two different things. For instance, I have been told to make prints for years and Every time I make prints, they bomb. Every time. Every (laughs) single time. I have never done prints where they did not bomb. And so I have just stopped making prints. When people come to my table, I tell them, like, they don't sell. And people will be like, I'll buy them. And then I'll literally have it at my table. And that same person will come by and not buy it. And I'm like, (laughs) like, you're so you have to really be able to, 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 to sort of take what someone tells you that they want and then be able to interpret what they actually want from it. And once you can do that, you kind of unlock a whole nother level of stuff that, that like, because what they're, usually what they're saying is like, I like these artists, but I want you to kind of do this thing, but like in your own way. And you kind of don't know what your own way means when like, okay, so like this, do people like this because of the animatedness of it? Do they like it because of the cuteness of it? Do they like it because of the, 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 the colorful palette-ness of it? And you, that, that is the sort of work that you have to do because it's not just translating, oh, I really like Tokidoki. Let's just do this thing, but with Toki in a Tokidoki style. But they're, they're, they're usually saying something much more nuanced than that. But an audience doesn't, like a buyer doesn't know what they actually want. Like, oh, they may know what they want, but they don't know how to express it. Like, they're not creative people. Like, they're not advertising gurus. They're not, they're not like, they're like they're 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 just normals and uh and like they don't have the breadth of of information that we have to say like your story structure really sucks at this like you like your cliffhangers are bad like like we don't they don't have those those the the, the sophistication that like mm-hmm. we have so we have to sort of take that and run it through filters that we have designed that we design for ourselves and then put that into use in uh in 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 what we make and how we make it you're speaking my language because as a graphic designer trying to work with people doing branding and logo designs yeah they say what they want this they want they want x their business is x but really it's why <laughs> and so yeah you have to cut you deliver why because that's what they're actually need um it's not what they ask for but that's what they need and then once they see it usually they're like yes you got it but like you say that's not what you asked for <laughs> yes it's, so it's you have to rarely. be this like creative detective sometimes mind reader that like yeah. picks up all the clues and puts them down on the table and then rearranges them to come up Absolutely. with something. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest problems, like that, to, to just, just to reiterate, it's one of the biggest problems to take what somebody says and then deliver that. Cause then you go, they never want the thing that they, that they are picturing in their head. They always want something 
else <laughs> and right. and uh, they kind of expect you to take the words they're saying and then like put some sort of like genius spin around Do your it magic. or behind it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, one of the biggest problems that I talk to, because I talk a lot about uh, to, to people when I'm doing coaching or in my courses about like how you survey your audience to like figure out like what they want. But then one of the biggest problems, people was like, I surveyed them and then I did the thing that they said they wanted. And, and, and so I've had to add this other thing, which is like you survey them, but then you have to iterate some things so that you know. And like once you once you hear something and then you know what people actually mean when they say it, so like you can translate it, you can then do it almost every time. Like if someone says like, I like Tokidoki work and they're like, oh, what you really mean is like you like repeating patterns of like, of like, of like characters in like my style and whatever the thing is like, once you, once you can translate those words, like the translations usually hold between people because like normals like kind of have the same language, seem to have the same language across like businesses and across like, across like places in the world. And it's not always perfect, but like, at least you can get in the ballpark generally each time, but you have to spend time doing that translation work to find out like, okay, when somebody says X, they mean Y. And then you can exactly. just go back to your board like, hey, do I have an already translation for that? Oh, yes, I do. It's right there. And like they said these three things, so they probably mean this is what they mean at the end. But at the beginning, you don't have that board of translation. And Unfortunately, my translation board is different than your translation board. Like what they say to me, they could say the exact same thing to you and mean something completely different. So we really like this is the problem. A huge problem with creative work is is there's no there's no way to universally translate what someone wants when they say this one thing. Even even the same person will mean something totally different depending on who they're talking to or what they're looking for in 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 in, in the style and like so and also what you deliver to them. So like if you're doing a, a branding design or you're doing a commission, you know you're looking at like one piece, and that's a lot different than translating in a comic because now you're not like, it's not one piece. It's like art on every page and colors on every page and writing on every page or a novel or like, so even somebody who's talking to me and talking about like a pin versus a book versus a comic, they're meaning different things depending on like the medium that even I'm working in. So it's a very, very specialized thing and uh, it can be very it, it, and, and it's very frustrating until you have that language that you can use to talk with people and that translation and then it becomes a lot easier it's still hard because you still have to take that thing and iterate on all of the potential possibilities in there but at least you're probably going to get in the right space in the right zone if you have those translation guides in place yeah definitely Thinking about creatives, I know something they also really struggle with is their confidence and to share their work and then ask a fair amount of money. I know most creatives undervalue what 
they do. So they, they're like, I'll do it for X dollars, which is usually three to four times less than they should ask for. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really work with service based people a lot. I work with mostly product based and it's a lot easier to be able to look at different products and say, well, this is $10 and like my product is so like the product range is five to $20 for this product. And, uh, so I am going to charge at the higher end or on the lower end or like whatever the thing is but I I always think that it's important I mean and the reason it's easier with products is like they exist out in the world like it's harder to find what someone's commission rate is for something because they yeah they're tangible you can relate to them you know like you know what a book is and how much a book should cost right right exactly and like my books tend to be on the higher end of what people will pay but they also on the higher end i believe of the goodness of that and so uh and so uh but like with services it's a little bit harder because like there is this this idea of like what you will pay but like it's not really doesn't matter what someone was willing to pay it's what they'll get out of it at the end of it so you know for instance you talked about graphic design like people vastly undervalue a logo like uh, a logo because when you're starting a business especially your first business like it's hard to conceptualize how important your logo or mascot is. Like, it's hard to conceptualize like that. It will literally be the thing that like everybody sees forever for the entirety of your business. It's going to be called this. And like, and, 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 and this is going to, and the, the, the logo design is going to be, and yes, you, of course you can change a logo and, and people do often and often like big brands will change their logo. Like, yearly or bi-yearly or every few years at least but sometimes with negative reaction to their audience because it's not in line with as you say outside your box they try to grow too fast and the audience is like whoa right i don't like that (laughs) yeah absolutely but like when you actually think of like how important a logo is like when you actually have done, so I've been doing this for five years and like, I look at Melissa, the RB mascot and who's in that, that drawing right behind me. And I'm like, she's literally on every book we've ever put out. She's, she's, uh, and, and, and like, she has her own sort of like reaction with like the fandom and like people who like, like Melissa, like she's on all of our, our books. Our, our, our boards that we like put out for shows, you know, like she's, she, and also like she represents a lot of like for in a large way, the art style of what we do. And she like represents the person that we're like looking for. Like she's just, she's just the most important part of the whole wannabe <laughs> press brand in many ways. And like, uh, I definitely did not value that enough when I came to somebody to, 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 to do the mascot. Like I didn't even really think like when I did want to be press, I already had the, the logo design for this brand that didn't work called the wannabes. And I was like, well, this would be really funny if my company was just called wannabe press because like, a, it's the first book we ever did. And B like, 
I'm only doing this company because nobody's willing to give me a shot. So like there wasn't a lot of thought into that or the logo for the books or the logo design for the books themselves. You know, we didn't, I don't think about, but like Ichabod Jones, the logo for Ichabod Jones or Cthulhu is hard to spell is going to follow that series for forever, like for the next 50 years. And I, I think that service providers, whether that's, uh, me selling courses or you doing graphics or commissions or less so like a one-off commission, but doing something for a business or brand. Like we don't do a good job of, 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 of a finding out what this is going to be, where this is going to put be put into their business and say like, okay, this is a logo. So this is going to be like the front and center thing that you guys are going to have for the next 20 years. Or like, is this just a thing you're using for this one 30-day campaign that you're going to run? Because, you know, they're all, they're mascots for like the Olympics. And like, once the Olympics are done, like, okay, it was really important for those two years. But like, now I don't, no one cares about like the mascot. for. Uh, uh, so like, it's important to know sort of the scope of, we don't, I, don't, I don't think we talk about like scope enough. Like, I think we, we like mm-hmm. ask a, a, a customer what the, their scope is, but we don't do a lot of follow-up questions to be like, okay, is this what you mean? Is this what you mean? Is this what you mean? Is it going to be a one-off thing that you're doing? Or is it going to be like a thing that is meant to live forever? And like yes. the more... The more important something is, the more iteration you should be doing on it first. As a, as a graphic designer, as like the artist, you should be like, look, like we're going to have to do a lot more iterating because this is like the front and center thing for your business as opposed to like something that's just going to go on one flyer one time. It's like, all right, if I'm like close with like, <laughs> I'll give you three iterations of it and then like, like one of them is going to be good enough because like it's literally just for one promotion you're going to run, you know? Um, I, I think of, uh, yeah, I think of like this, there's an ice cream place by me and like they have every logo has their little like thing that there are that like, it has like a little like cute like logo of the, co- they have a, their company logo and they have each like each kind of like uh, ice cream has their own like little logo too. Like, they'll do a lot of branding and, and, and more importantly, all of those companies also like are consistent across the brand. So when you are doing, you know, when you're thinking about doing a company logo for like whatever the thing is, you know, you're like, okay, am I going to have to design a, a consistent brand that's going to be on all of your ice cream flavors for the rest of the universe because that is also, you know, there are, there are certain styles that you can do once or twice or three times that don't work if you're iterating in a thousand different things. And again, like if we, if it, the more scope we give something, the more we can really focus in and be like, okay, this is what I really need to do for this. So here's how much I'm going to have to charge you for this thing. And like, look, I'm willing to lower my rate to like do less than this, but like, this is your company. And like, this is like the rest of your life. Hopefully you'll be in this company. And so you really should like spend some time on it. And like that means more time means more of my time. Um, yep. I also think that that like there's there's multiple things that you're doing in your business, right? And like 
most people just say $50, $50 of my time is worth X or like an hour of my time is worth $50 or whatever. But it's actually, so there, there are these little admin tasks, right? That we all do. And like, oh, they're yes. worth like $5. <laughs> They're like $5 or $10 or like whatever. They're like minimum wage tasks anybody can do. And so like maybe you, you, you can't charge a whole heck of a lot for that, for that time because like, you know, the, the, the amount of people who can do it is a lot. And then there's this sort of technician time. And like, I like to say like $50 an hour is a good amount to charge for like the technician actually drawing the thing time. But then there's this other thing, which is like the strategic partnershiping, like the, the thinking of the brand design, the overall like sketching of the ideas and all of this stuff. And like that, is worth $500 an hour. And because like you're now like thinking about this strategic way that you work. And this can be done when you're thinking about your own time and trying to be like, well, how do I get to do less of the BS time and more of this like strategic planning time? But can also be brought to bear when you're planning like a pitch. It's like, okay, this is going to take two hours of my sketching and uh, and like thinking about the brand as a whole and like that's worth a hundred dollars an hour and then i'm gonna spend six hours drawing out ideations and like that is thirty dollars an hour and then like i'm gonna have to do i'm gonna have to fax them some bs stuff and like that's fifteen dollars an hour and like then when you go in and you can say like well why is this so expensive be like well here is like there are like my, my time is not just all worth the same. Like right. I, I could find somebody to like go and draw if I give them the sketches like, and so I don't charge as much for like the things that like I actually have to draw because once I have the style and the tone and you agree to that part, then like I'm just like doing the work and like, so I don't charge as much for that, but like it's going to take us four hours to like just figure out what the tone and the, the and, and the style and all of this stuff is. And like that is like, that is the zone of genius. That That is the Tara Russell zone of genius time. And like, that is the reason you're hiring me. And like, if you want that part, then that is $500 or $200 or a hundred, whatever. That is the most expensive time. Like that is why yes. you're hiring me. Yeah. The rest of this thing other people can theoretically do like I can go and find a talented art school person to ideate 50 ideas from this sketch. But like to get to this sketch is the thing that only I will ever get to. And right. that is, so I think, I don't know if that's like, that is a way that I would think about it. If I offered more services of that, like different pieces of my business and different things that I do, are worth different amounts. And depending on how much of a client needs of each of those three sections is what I'm going to be charging for that. Yeah. Everything is like changing right now. Um, and from one creative to another, I was wondering if the shift in how overall business is being approached and thought of, do you think it'll have a positive um outcome on creatives and business and everything that they do? I don't know. So (laughs) 
you know, Damn I, it, think I was hoping you would be like, yes, and we're all going to be awesome and amazing. <laughs> well, I think we definitely are in a place where people appreciate art more. Like they appreciate that, like yes. the thing that kept them sane is like Netflix. Yeah. But there's a difference between appreciating art more and being able to charge more for right. it. And I think that while we are, people understand the importance of it, we've done either no or negative correlation to the value of that. Because Netflix is really important, but it costs 10 bucks. So for right. all you can eat. And so like what I worry about, or like same thing with Kindle Unlimited, like, you know, it's like what I worry about is people are more reliant on art than they have ever been, but they are not willing to pay more for it. And they may even be willing to pay less because they're like, dude, I have Netflix for 10 bucks. I'm not going to pay this $5 for just one book when I can go on Netflix and binge for like as much as I want. Um, I don't, so, I mean, I'm, there's good news and bad news. And I do think that like, it's important to take both and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people will be more willing to pay for like the piece of art or like they'll, 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 they'll go and find their favorite artists be willing to pay for them. But I mean, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to be optimistic just because like, I live in America and you can look, we're like burning down our whole country right now over wearing masks. I know. And, and, oh. and like, like, so I don't know like how, how all of that will shake out. You also don't know, like, uh, you know, are people going to have money <laughs> going to enter a great depression? You know, the thing that people kick off first is, is, um, is like these like frivolous quote unquote non-essentials like art and reading and all of this stuff despite the fact that people think it's essential like or like uh, fall back on it they also are under understand that like you can't eat a good book like you just True. like it nourishes the soul and so sometimes people can't get to that like higher level of maslow's pyramid so there are some positive signs i definitely think people are who've never appreciated art are appreciating it more now um but there's a whole lot of negative as well. And I'm not quite sure how all of that will shake out. I hope positively, but yes. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. So you also have a podcast, The Complete Creative. Uh, what kind of topics do you talk about on your podcast? Uh, sure. So I, uh, I have a podcast. It's, oh, it's almost 200 episodes now. I've been interviewing creatives about how they build and sustain their creative business. So I interview a lot of authors, but also filmmakers and fine artists and photographers. And I bring on psychologists and all sort of things to help people understand sort of what it means to lead a creative life and like how they can be more successful at doing that. And that might mean selling more. It might mean creating more. It might mm -hmm. mean just like improving their mindset. So like they don't feel so horrible all the time about what they're making. Um, and we try, I try to sort of break up the show into sort of creating and business and all sorts of different stuff, depending on the artist and, and, uh, and, and then dig deep on things that I think that can be helpful for a creative to lead a more 
successful, and I don't just mean money in that way, but but just more successful creative life. And in this COVID time, I've really seen that like a lot of the problem is in creating like just like getting the mindset to actually create and get to a table. And so, you know, that could be the more success that you find in the show. It could mean finding your audience and like becoming more successful and like being able to sustain an audience. Or it might just get being into that place where you can even consider creating because you're like, you can't even like sit down at a computer and like do anything. So whatever it is, wherever you are, hopefully the complete creative by just listening to other creatives who have been successful in doing this, um, you know, can help. And uh, yeah, we had Marv Wolfman on who created the Teen Titans. Uh, recently, we had um, uh, Tara and Sandra from Kick and the Creatives who do these sort of monthly creative challenges. Um, we've had advertiser people on to show you how to build a brand. Just all sorts of people from all sorts of creative walks of life that that will help you hopefully lead a better and more fulfilled uh, creative life. Amazing. I'm going to start listening today because I didn't have time before the po- this podcast was recorded. <laughs> but definitely go on to listen to that. Um, so you mentioned other resources that you have available for creative entrepreneurs. Um, what are some other places that people can extract information from your brain? <laughs> sure. So, I mean, the completecreative.com is the best place uh, to okay. find the musings of my creative life. Not only do we have the podcast there, but uh, every week I write one or two blog posts about sort of the creative journey. I have ton- I have over 400 now, including epic blog posts about finding audiences and dealing with depression and and running virtual conferences and COVID support and all sorts of like stuff. So there's over 400 blog posts. Plus there's over almost 200 episodes of my podcast. Plus I have um, some free resources. So I have a free novel course at thecompletecreative.com forward slash novel. Teach you everything you need to know about writing a great novel. I have uh, I have an, an audience building course at thecompletecreative.com forward slash audience. A general creative business course about like how to build a better creative business and the fundamental principles of it at uh, thecompletecreative.com forward slash FBC. I have, and I have a uh, free uh, Kickstarter course at thecompletecreative.com forward slash FBC, along with some other great resources. And then if you're a fan of mythology, magic, and monsters, or just want to see how I run like the main business that I run, the uh, russellnolte.com, join our mailing list, then you can see sort of, uh, you get some free books. Uh, you can see sort of my autoresponder sequence and sort of see sort of how I've set everything up to be successful. Um, and I do believe a lot about the, you know, and once you have the foundations in place, the foundation is the most important thing to being able to determine how high you can scale. So having all of these like autoresponders and, and, uh, and, uh, and mailing lists and, 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 and brand aware, all of these things, like having a good base means you can just, you can scale higher than you could have otherwise. Yeah, definitely automation and systems. The less you have to do yourself, the more you can just do the creative stuff, which is what we all want to be doing, right? We don't want to be doing all those, you know, putting people through sales funnels manually. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> no. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. a great thing about like, about email is you just like set it and then you forget it. And then like you put people in there and it does the work for you if you've done it right. So that's, that's definitely what I'm trying to do as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So do you have any new books or projects that are recently launching or coming out soon? Yeah, so I just finished launching a my summer slate of books, um, uh, uh, which is sort of like four four books um, that uh, I launched on Kickstarter, and they'll be coming out uh, next week on Amazon. Um, and if you just look up russellnolte.com, uh, uh, if you just look up Russell Nolte on Amazon or Kobo, you can find sort of uh, those books. I have a new book, uh, uh, the second volume of my most popular graphic novel, Ichabod Jones Monster Hunter, is coming to Kickstarter in September. And... Uh, then I have a big new secret project launching in 2021, which is sort of mythology meets fairy tales meets urban fantasy meets epic fantasy and this sort of like Wizard of Ozzy type universe. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's coming. I don't know if it's going to launch in January or June, but that'll be coming for sure in 2021. Amazing. I'm really excited about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's sort of the culmination of everything that I've learned in my career. I've kind of been picking at like, like other series that I'm uh, that I've been working on. And during that whole time, I've been focused for the last about three years on like developing this universe. And it is it is uh, it's really cool. It's uh, called the Obsidian Spindle Saga. It's about this girl who falls into a uh, a like uh, an alt. Uh, it goes into a diabetic coma and wakes up in this place called the Dream Realm, and she has Ooh. to get to this place. It has to go across the universe uh, uh, to this place called the Obsidian Spindle and and w- to wake up before she dies in the in the world. And her half Gorgon girlfriend comes into the Dream Realm to help her. And there's all these like like the biggest city in the world is Oz, and there the the Red Riding Hood is in there, and like there's all these like really cool like public domain characters like Nimue is the Wicked Witch of the West and there's all these like really cool um uh, 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 like threads that are mythological, but also, um, but also uh, a fairy tale. And it sort of explains how the dream realm can exist, but also these things can have permeated our memory for the last several hundred years. Very excited. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> so you talked about um, the complete creative uh, website. Um, is that, the best place to reach out to you if someone wants to find you? Do you want to yeah, share I mean, any of your... complete creative, if you are a creative human who wants to learn how to build your creative career, uh, then Russell Nolte, if you are russellnolte.com, if you kind of are a reader and you want to like learn kind of the kind of books that I do, you can also email me at russell at wannabepress.com and I can direct you to the right resource as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a pleasure. I'm great to meet you. Um, yes, great over to meet Zoom. You too. Yes, <laughs> and I will be looking forward to all of the amazing creative things that come out from your world. Thanks so much. It's great being here. Have a great day. Thanks. 
And that wraps up episode 13 of Creative Conflab. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Russell Nolte. And I hope that you are able to achieve your own creative zone of genius in whatever it is that you do. And I hope that you have an amazing day. I hope you get to be creative and be kind. If you'd like to follow the show on other channels, Creative Conflab is on Facebook. Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a shop that launched recently. So if you want some podcast merch like stickers or a typography poster, head on over to creativeconflab.com.